Okay, now we're going to move into the part of the worship service where we have our sermon. I have my Bible right here with me. It's sitting on this music stand, and hopefully you're turned over to Genesis chapter 32. That's going to be the bulk of the lesson this morning. So a few years ago, when we were getting ready to make a major life uh, transition, we had some big decisions to make as a family. And before I make any decisions, uh, I like to pray about it a lot. I like to seek advice from wise people. And I even read some books about decision-making and being led by the Holy Spirit. And in one of these books that I was reading, I came across this quote. And the quote was, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. Maybe you've heard that before, and I'm not sure how you interpret that quote. But the book that I was reading it in, and the situation in life we were in, the way that I understood it was that we can change jobs, we can move town, we can get new friends, we can change churches, we can make all these outward changes. But no matter where we go, if we haven't dealt with ourselves, we're still going to handle conflict the same way or avoid conflict. We're still going to deal with our anger and our temperament the same way, our our thought life, our our thought patterns. We'll still have the sins that we struggle with or the habits or addictions or whatever it may be. If we don't deal with ourselves, those things will follow us wherever we go. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. So keep that quote in mind as we talk about Jacob this morning. And I'll remind you, we've been in this sermon series called People Problems. And last week we looked at the story of Jacob and Esau. And I'll fill you in on the the context here in just just a second. We've talked about deceit. We talked about Abram and Lot separating from each other. The one thing that we haven't talked about yet when it comes to dealing with people is one of the greatest sources of pain and problems that there is. You see, the way that God has wired us, the way that God has created us is for relationships, is for being with people. And so people can bring us so much joy and fulfillment in life, but people can also bring us pain. And one of the greatest reasons for pain in relationships and dealing with people is not always other people, but it's ourselves. It's what we bring into the relationship and the way we respond to people that can cause a lot of problems. And that is the story of Jacob. See, Jacob's name means hill grabber, or another way of describing Jacob's name is deceiver. And in Genesis 25, he... uh, basically tricked his brother Esau into getting the birthright. In Genesis 27, which we looked at last week, he lies to his dad, he deceives his dad, he deceives his brother, and he takes on the paternal blessing that wasn't supposed to be his. Or at least the older brother was the one that's supposed to receive that blessing. And Jacob takes it by lying. So Jacob spends the next 20 years on the run, running from Esau, running from his problems, And where we pick up right now in chapter 32 is after two decades, Jacob is ready to come home. But he knows that coming home is going to involve that confrontation with his brother that he's been avoiding for so long. So Jacob sends some of his people ahead, some messengers, and they find Esau. And what they come back and tell Jacob in chapter 32 and verse 6 is Esau is on his way and he has 400 men with him. Jacob doesn't know what that means. Does Esau have 400 men because he's ready to go to battle and that's his army and he's coming to attack Jacob? Or is that just how Esau normally travels? Jacob doesn't know that. 
So we're told in verse 7 that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He doesn't know what's ahead when he goes back home. He doesn't know if this is going to be the end of it for him or for his family. So in chapter 32, Jacob prays. He prays to God, and he, in his prayer, reminds God of the promise that God made him. And then Jacob sends some gifts ahead to Esau, which was a smooth move. He's trying to, maybe he's trying to butter him up a little bit. And then in verse 22 and 23, Jacob sends his wives, his children, everybody and everything across the river, and Jacob stays back by himself for the night. So I want to slow down and pick up in Genesis 32 and verse 24, where we have this incredibly strange verse. The whole text is strange, which is part of why I love it. But it says in verse 24, uh, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Let's focus on those first four words for just a second. Jacob was left alone. I don't know how long it had been since Jacob was alone. But when Jacob's alone, he can't blame anybody else. He, he has to stop blaming Esau or his mom or his dad or his father-in-law. Jacob has to be alone and deal with himself here. The last time Jacob was alone that we read about is Genesis chapter 28. And when Jacob stopped for the night, he had this great dream. And the dream was of a ladder, a stairway from heaven to earth. And angels were ascending and descending. And it was a great night for Jacob to have that dream. And I think maybe he's hoping here in chapter 32 that he'll go to bed for the night and have another dream. But that's not what he finds. But being alone sometimes means that we can open ourselves up for one, to deal with ourselves, and for another, for God to come and meet us there. We don't like being alone. We try to avoid it. Maybe we like it some, but we don't like it for a long period of time. One of the most effective punishments as a parent is to put my kids in timeout, especially my younger son. He hates going into timeout. He knows he's in big trouble when we put him in timeout because he doesn't want to sit there all alone. So Jacob was left alone for the night, and then we're told, that a man wrestled with him until daybreak. What in the world does that mean? Who is this man that comes to wrestle Jacob? Just out of nowhere, bam, he's in a headlock or a hip toss or whatever in the world has happened here. Is it Laban? Did his father-in-law come back to wrestle him? Did, did Esau sneak across the river and start wrestling him? Was, is it some river god? Jacob doesn't really know. We're, to, we're, to, we're uh, told later, and we kind of discover later, that this man that wrestles Jacob is not just a man, it's God. But why is he wrestling him? Now, this is a part of the story that I really love. Wrestling has been a part of my life since I was a little kid. And even growing up into my teenage years, like when I was at church camps, I don't know what girls do at night, but guys, we would wrestle. And when you would wrestle, you would see who's the stronger person. So that moment before the match starts, there's a little bit of anxiety because you know that you could be overpowered at any moment. I would wrestle at church camps. When I played football during off-season when we were training, uh, we would have once a, once a week we would have competition days, and the coaches would roll out the mat and we would wrestle. And when I got to college, I wrestled some. In fact, once a year I entered into this wrestling tournament. In my senior year, uh, we were wrestling, and uh, I actually was doing pretty good. I'd made it to the championship match. I won two matches, and the third one was the championship. I was in the heavyweight bracket because I weighed over 200 pounds. And the guy that I was wrestling in the championship, I had wrestled him in the past before, and I knew I could beat him. 
So I was excited because I thought, I got this in the bag. I'm going to be the heavyweight champion of this tournament that I'd entered in my last year at ACU. Well, a problem happened. We started the match. I got leverage over my opponent. I suplexed him, and he landed pretty hard on the ground. But right when that happened, I got a cramp in my calf muscle. So I had to stop the match. And everybody's just sitting. We had this crowd of people around us watching us, and I'm sitting there trying to stretch out my, my muscle cramp. So we restarted the match. Same thing. I got leverage over my opponent. I suplexed him even harder on the ground, but this time both of my calves cramped up. And I was in a lot of pain, but the guy, my opponent, the guy that I was wrestling, uh, we had known each other for a long time. We had worked out together, and he knew that when I get dehydrated, I get cramped. So he came over to where I was and grabbed my foot and started trying to stretch my calf for me. And then everybody that was in the crowd started booing because this was their championship match and we just had to stop the match because I couldn't go anymore. My body gave out. I gassed out. Wrestling is the most exhausting thing physically that I've ever done. I mean, it involves every fiber of your being. It involves all of your muscle, all of your lung capacity, your heart rate, everything. I mean, you have to put in full force to wrestle, and you can get pretty tired quickly. And Jacob is engaged in this wrestling match all night long. You know, during this quarantine, one of the things that we've done that's been pretty fun as a family is I've let my kids watch some wrestling on TV, and then they'll want to wrestle me in the living room on the rug. For my son, he'll come up to me and say, Dad, let's wrestle. He, my son does not think it's an official wrestling match until he takes his shirt off. Well, my daughter, what she likes about watching wrestling on TV is she likes the entrances and the music. So when she wants to wrestle me, we'll have to play music for her, and she does this grand entrance into the ring. Well, for Jacob this night, he doesn't get an entrance. He doesn't have entrance music. He doesn't have a referee. There's not a bell ring to tell him the match has started. Just all of a sudden, he's engaged in a battle while he's all alone and he's wrestling. So in verse, uh, what the next verse, 25, it says, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, uh, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Another strange verse. If this is God, why could God not overpower him? Why could God not prevail against him? What, what does this mean? You know, Many years ago when I was in youth ministry, uh, on Sunday nights we'd have devos, and we would play dodgeball. It was a lot of fun. Well, occasionally we would include some of the little kids, like fifth and sixth graders, fourth graders, third graders, and they'd come play with the big kids, come play dodgeball. Well, some of the older teenagers sometimes, uh, they had a problem kind of toning it down a little bit, and they'd go full force against these little kids. So I'd have to pull the teenagers aside and say, hey, calm down. Like, we know you can beat these little kids, but it's not going to hurt you to let them win every once in a while. That'll be fun for them. And when I read this verse and I picture God wrestling Jacob and not being able to overpower him, that's how I picture it. It's like God knows that he can take him at any moment because when he touches his hip socket, it knocks it out of joint. But he lets Jacob stay in the contest. He lets Jacob stay in the match all night long because he knows that Jacob needs to keep wrestling. So in verse 26, the man said, let me go for the day is breaking. The sun is about to rise, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. His hip had just been knocked out of socket, and he's probably in excruciating pain right here, but Jacob wants a blessing. 
It's not the first time he's asked for a blessing in the book of Genesis. And he's going to hold on through all of that pain until he is blessed. So in verse 27, the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Again, if this is God wrestling Jacob, why does God need to know his name? Why does God say, what is your name? Wouldn't he already know what his name is? I think so. I think the reason he says, what is your name, is not for God to know his name, but for Jacob to verbalize it, for Jacob to own up to it. Because the last time in the book of Genesis, Jacob was asked, who are you? What is your name? What does he say? He says, I am Esau. In Genesis 27, he's lying to his dad about his identity, about who he is. So now Jacob is asked, what is your name again? And instead of lying about it, instead of being Jacob the deceiver, he's finally honest. He's tired of pretending, and he's going to own up to who he is, and he says the real name. He says who he really is. I'm not Esau. I'm Jacob. So in verse 28, the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and humans, and you have prevailed. Jacob is going to receive a new name. And that becomes official in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 10. But instead of being Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the heel grabber, he's going to be Israel, which means there's several ways that this could be interpreted, strives with God or wrestles with God. And this becomes Jacob's new name, which becomes eventually the nation of Israel, the Israelites. Jacob has finally been honest with who he is, and he's going to get a new story for his life. See, in the ancient Near East, your name had a story attached to it. Your name represented who you are and what you stood for. And Jacob is tired of being Jacob, what his name means. Wherever you go, there you are. And he's going to walk away from this, a new person with a new name. So Jacob said to him in verse 29, please tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Just as mysteriously as this man appeared to wrestle Jacob, he won't answer his name, but he does bless Jacob. So verse 30, Jacob called the place Peniel, which is, I know it's a weird name. It's a Hebrew word, which means the face of God. And the reason Jacob names it that is he says, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. Jacob realizes here that this battle, this wrestling contest that he's been engaged in all night, and really for most of his life, he's not been wrestling just any ordinary man. He's been wrestling with God. And so in verse 31, he's ready to go meet Esau. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, which is kind of a play on words, means the same thing, face of God and he was limping because of his hip. I like the first part of that verse. The sun is rising. Jacob is finally crossing that river. He's finally going home to meet Esau, and the sun is there to greet him, but he's limping. Jacob goes across the river, and I'm sure his family is surprised to see him limping. He's been broken, he's been renamed, and he's been blessed. But now he walks with a limp. And I imagine Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Later on, when he was an older man and he goes to see Joseph as an old man in Egypt, I imagine he limped all the way to Egypt. He limped as he buried his wife, Rachel. This limp 
because of wrestling with God, went with him the rest of his life. Kind of like Paul in the New Testament with this thorn in his side. And he asked God to remove it, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's the same for Jacob. So Jacob emerges out of this battle a better man, having gone through this trial. Wherever you go, there you are. And being alone at night, he was forced to have to deal with himself. But not only that, he wrestled with God. And he confronted some of these unresolved issues, not in the lives of others, but in his own life. So in chapter 33, he finally sees his brother Esau for the first time in 20 years. And what does Esau do? Well, first he runs towards Jacob. And there's probably that moment of fear, like what's Esau going to do? And to everybody's surprise, instead of swinging a sword at him or spearing him to the ground and fighting him, what does Esau do? He runs to Jacob and he embraces him, he kisses him, and they weep together. I love that. That's in uh, Genesis 33 and verse 4. And Esau's response to Jacob reminds me of the parable that Jesus once told, the parable of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. And in that parable, if you remember it, the son is incredibly disrespectful to his dad. He asks for his inheritance, and he goes off and he blows all the money, he squanders it all, and then he has to come back to his dad. And he doesn't know how his dad is going to respond. But what does the dad do in Luke 15? Just like Esau, he runs to greet him and embraces him and celebrates his son's return. And this is what Esau does with Jacob. And then in uh, Genesis 33 and verse 10, Jacob says, to see you, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Once Jacob dealt with himself and wrestled with God, it freed him up to be able to see the love of God in his own brother and in other people. This is an amazing story, right? And this kind of concludes this part of the story for both Jacob and Esau that we're focusing on for the sermon series. And I think there's there's two lessons that we learn from the two brothers here. The lesson we learn from Esau is the lesson of forgiveness. Instead of holding on to a grudge, instead of 20 years later still holding on to that and letting it burn inside of him and trying to get his revenge on Jacob, he runs to him, embraces him, and forgives him. And Just like what Esau does here, this is what Jesus does for us. He forgives us of our sins with his death on the cross, but Jesus also, in the core of his teachings, Jesus teaches us to forgive others. In fact, he says, if you want to receive forgiveness from God, Jesus says, you need to be willing to forgive others. So like Esau, maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to be willing to forgive. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to leave your gift at the altar like Jesus talks about in Matthew 5 and go be reconciled to your brother or your sister. Offer forgiveness. That's a lesson we learn from Esau. What do we learn from Jacob? Well, from Jacob, we learn a lesson of dealing with yourself, of finally fessing up to your own part in the problem. Wherever you go, there you are. Jacob finally had to deal with himself. He finally had to confront those unresolved issues in his own life. And not only did he deal with himself, but he wrestled with God. Jacob walked away limping for the rest of his life, but he was blessed. and He was a different person. And like Jacob, maybe we need to get alone and spend some time with God. And in doing so, it might be painful, but it's worth it. We might walk away limping, but we need to keep wrestling. 
So like these two brothers in this wonderful story with all of its ups and downs and joys and woes from the book of Genesis, may we be people, as we deal with other people that will naturally cause problems in our life, may we always extend forgiveness like Esau finally does. And like Jacob, may we deal with ourselves and keep wrestling with God. God bless you all. Uh, We're going to hear a word from one of our elders, and we hope to see you on here next week.